Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Phoenix Rods. Today's guest is Brent Ayler. Uh, super stoked on this one. Uh, big name in the fishing industry and local. So uh, we had a good interview. He, he dropped some knowledge bombs on us some nuggets. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Casey, for hooking that up. I appreciate it. Um, and then this Thursday will be Rory uh, Taylor from Traeger Grills at uh, my buddy Mike Stenbridge's house. We did it over there. Mike has a guest appearance too. So we talk about barbecue, fishing, and, and a lot of barbecue stuff, a lot of Traeger questions. Um, that's about it. If you guys want to check out the Patreon, this month is sponsored by Optimum. Uh, depths they gave us three depths 250s actually yeah three depths 250s and then you'll get a rod as well um so please sign up for the patreon appreciate that i want to try to push that a little harder if you guys can i'm thinking of putting some content out i don't know what maybe for for um i don't know something that people want to hear i'd love to do like an unfiltered podcast which i think i'm going to kind of try to do for 200 is do uh some of the guys that i hang out with have a little party in the backyard and do a live stream for the 200 and then uh that's a saltwater one and then i'm gonna do a freshwater one which i can't talk about yet because i'm waiting on some people so it should be a banger for the 200 you can hear my kids screaming like he's dying in the background that's great but um if you can uh go to itunes give us a five-star review greatly appreciate that positive one and check out youtube i'm working uh, it's it's a lot of work so I'm, I'm back like three episodes on youtube i should be caught up today with brent ayler and then rory and then i got to go back and do greg springer and i know there was another one i didn't do. I have, a, I have a couple episodes that i just haven't done and i got to do like danny from blank um yeah so we'll get on that uh may's coming up i can't wait going back up north gonna do a couple round twos i think i'm gonna do a round two with kelly popo we're gonna go fish and then we're gonna do a podcast I'll say it's poopo. I fucked it up. Sorry, Kelly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Um, glad to get you on the podcast, man. Appreciate taking the time. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's a cool one because uh, I've had a couple of uh, pros on, but you're a local, so it's kind of cool. You know? Yeah, Southern Cal guy. Nice. Who all have you had on? I've had Brandon Palnick on, uh, Greg Vinson. And some other guys, Oliver just started, and I think that's it because most of them are calling. I can't oh, think of anyone else. Gotcha. I've done like a hundred and something episodes. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. Good to you. So you grew up locally. Uh, whereabouts? I grew up in Redlands. Redlands, okay. Um, I still live in Redlands now. Um, 
We moved away for just a couple of years. A lot of pop spots kind of here and there, but nothing, you know, crazy. You know, school on the back Riverside. And, um, I moved away here and there. We moved to Newport for almost three years and then back around them again. Did you move to Newport when you were older with your family or did you? Uh... No, when I was older, yeah. My wife and son and I, we moved out there for like two and a half years and then we ended up coming back to Redmond because all of our help was out here for my son. Uh huh. Um, as far as my wife started working for Lucky Craft mm-hmm. and they wanted her to travel. So she's coming to all my tournaments and we needed help with my son because he was going to school and. Um, my in-laws are right here. My parents are right here in Redmond. So it just, it made more sense to move back here so that when my wife would come out and meet me at the tournament, then we had someone to take care of my son and take him to school. No, it makes sense. Makes sense, man. Um, yeah. So growing up, what were your home lakes that you used to beat up? Uh, Lake Paris. Paris? And that was, uh, Paris and then Diamond a little bit, but Paris is only about... 25, 30 minutes from my house. So it just makes more sense. You know, when I'm home, I'm kind of not in the, I, I don't want to drive somewhere to fish. You know, if I fish, I want to roll out at 11 and fish until 4 and come home, you know? Yeah. And, and you might get caught in traffic or have to drive an hour plus to go get somewhere. So Lake Paris is just the easiest one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you got Diamond. You Were you one of the first to fish Diamond Valley as well? Um, I mean, I, I got on maybe a week after they opened. Okay. Um, but I wasn't there. You know, maybe a little bit longer, but I'm at the early stages, yeah, I was able to fish it in the first month it was open. Yeah. And uh, it's a fun lake. It's a little farther away for me. Um, it's ridiculous expensive, so I don't like going there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I went there a couple times on the last year, the year before. It just didn't make sense. I go out and I pay thirty dollars and I catch three bass. I'm like, man, I'd rather just go to, to Paris and pay you know quite a bit less. Or you know, if you have a season pass, it's two hundred and fifty dollars for a season pass. If I'm not going to catch anything, I'd rather just go to Lake Paris and be home in twenty five minutes. Yeah. So, do you feel it, like uh, that that changed over the years though at Diamond Valley? Like you know, since. Uh pressure stuff like that i mean sometimes i'll go in the boats line it's like you know 100 boats in line <laughs> you know yeah i mean it's just it's just a tricky lake you know it's uh it has its ups and downs this this winter it was definitely better than paris was um but again i just i don't want to pay 30 dollars to go to catch fish yeah oh, i'd rather just beat my head against the wall and only catch a couple of paris <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how old were you when you started taking the whole tournament thing seriously? Like when you, uh, started making that uh, your full-time gig? So it kind of happened. I, I want to say I was around 28. It was, it was, it was basically when I won the first World cup, which was in 06. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew at that point that it was going to be more than, you know, just a hobby. I, I started fishing nationally in 05. I fished the FLW tour, and then in 06, I won the, the Forest Wood Cup, uh, the championship tournament. And at that point, I kind of went, yeah, I'm telling you, this is going to end up being more than, than just a hobby. And so after 06 is when it turned into more of a job for me. Um, when you started traveling to fish, 
being from California and, and I, from what I've heard, I mean, I, I really don't go anywhere to fish except, you know, Diamond Valley, Paris. The lakes yeah. are a lot different. How was that a uh, game changer for you? And not only that, you didn't move. So I think you're like the probably one of the biggest pros in California that stayed in California, right? Yeah, ish. Uh, yeah. The other one. Yeah. Um, and ski. The three of us are really the only ones that are still living out here. And the fishing's um, got to be way different than when you go everywhere else, right? Well, it, it is. Um, but there are more variables. You know, you don't just, you don't go out to you know, Diamond or Paris and, and go, wow, it rained last week and the water came up five feet. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen um, you know, here. But when I kind of took the stigma of the lakes are completely different, out of the equation, that's why I started catching more fish. I mean, when I went out and just went fishing, just like I would here at home, is when I started catching them better. Then, you know, going out there the first couple of times, I just felt like, well, everything I've read is that you pick up a square bill, you pick up a spinnerbait, you just go down the bank and you catch fish. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it, it seems like, Every year, the tournaments are more and more of a grind. I mean, it's harder and harder to catch them now. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's pressure. Um, you know what it is. I, I say pressure that the last two years have have been the strangest years for me in, in my career because we're out there fishing for our tournament. And there's 200 guys practicing for a tournament that is going to be on the, the day of our finals. So you have boats all around you and fishing in front of you and cutting you off on even in your tournament. Yeah. That's so really strange. And, and it's just, and the, the lights are getting pressured more. I mean, the, the last one we shot at Raider, there's a 550 boat high school tournament that was going on while we were practicing. Oh my gosh. And so not only do we have the 550 boats in the high school tournament, there's, two local tournaments going on plus our 80 guys out there practicing you could not go anywhere on the entire lake and drop your troll motor without being in front and behind somebody how do you how do you uh maneuver around that you know what do you do like you don't want to piss people off um you kind of have to just drive around and just not fish areas you know i i Pulled into areas. There was one place in particular that when I was there last time, I did well in the tournament, and there was this one area where I caught fish. It was a really big area. I mean, a fairly big area, and I had a couple of key little corners where I knew that there was a couple of groups of fish, and I could hop through and fish each spot and, you know, move, get out of there and go to the next area. And we had 110 guys in the tournament, and I never saw a boat. And I rolled into one little corner of it, and I counted uh, 23 boats. Oh, my God. Everyone had the same yeah, idea, so, huh? <laughs> You know, it's just it, it's just strange having that many people on the water, and you can't, you know, there's areas you can't fish because you just, you know, not only are you going to get in front of somebody, but you're already behind somebody, and you just, you just can't fish around the fish. You, know, you don't learn anything. Yeah. Yeah, and... Well, will you when you're doing tournaments, um, it, will you have 
people keep an eye on you and try to throw a wrench in your program. So say, say you're fishing a tournament and it's strategic. Maybe a dude's watching you and, uh, you know, you kind of had a program the, the, the first two days, you know, or whatever it might be. Then you come that third day, do you ever get guys that'll, that'll come block your program just to know, just to kind of throw that wrench in you just so they don't, you don't get past them? Um, not, not our guys in our tournament. That's good. Um, you know, some of, some of the local stuff, you know, you have people come in and catch fish, but you know, it's just part of the game now. It, that's all it is. And it's just, it, it has changed a little bit. You know, it's good that we have more people on the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole goal is to get more people involved. Um, it just, it just changes the, the way we do things now. What about electronics? Uh, how do you feel about that? Like the panoptics thing, like, uh, I've heard two different opinions on it. Where do you kind of stand with that? Is it just the the way the times are going and you got to go with it? Or are you kind of like, ah? Uh. It, it's such an effective tool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, 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 I wish that everybody would get them because they're, they're so good. It's, there's so much you can do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing the fish alone is, is unbelievable. You know, where I can scan an area and see the fish there. And, uh, and catch them. And, and, you know, that part is great. You can see the fish there. Just seeing the right cast is a really big deal to get the bait in the strike zone. Um, you know, whether it's fishing grass lines, um, fishing brush piles, you know, you may not necessarily see the fish there, but you know where you need to make your cast to be effective. So, it really is. It's literally just a tool that's going to make you better on the water. Yeah. So, I mean, believe me, it's, it, it's a tool and we need tools to, you know, catch more fish. And when there's something out there that comes out, you need to have it. Otherwise you're not as good of a fisherman. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that yeah. garment pan optics. I mean, I was I was blown away the stuff that I've seen with that. I mean, I, I've only been running it for two years now, or a year and a half now. I mean, I had two tournaments last year alone that every bass I caught in the entire tournament I saw before I caught. Them. <laughs> you know, where I was casting an individual fish, and just our last event we were at Lake Rayburn, and I saw a lot of the fish I caught, but the biggest part was seeing the grass lines and seeing where to make the cast. Um, I was catching them on a like craft shirt bait. And, you know, when you're fishing in grass, it's you fish too shallow up on the grass and you get balled up. You fish too deep and you're not where the fish are. You just know that line to make the cast. Which was a huge, huge help. I mean, <laughs> not only do you get to feel it, you can see it happening right on the panoptics, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's it's nuts and the amount of fish you see and you watch them follow your bait it's kind of crazy i mean the, you know i caught several that i i watched following it that you know it tells you to do something you know you slow your cadence down you speed it up and you pause it and you you can almost see the reaction of the fish and and get a little clue okay if i do this he gets excited if i do this he starts to kind of sink down in the way Mm-hmm. do more of what gets them excited than, you know, do less of what doesn't get them excited. You know, it's kind of crazy how you can, you know, fish for every individual fish. Yeah. Um, when you, 
decided to become pro, were, did you have a day job before that? Kind of. Um, so I, I went to school in, in Riverside, California, and I graduated with a business degree. And straight out of out of college, I went and swung a hammer for a construction company, mm-hmm. um, a framing company, and I framed some tract homes. And, and then uh, outside of that, I... Uh, got in, you know, stayed in construction. My whole game plan was to get my general contractor's license. And I did some, some ground ups. I did some remodels with my father-in-law. He's a general contractor. And, you know, that was my whole game plan. And uh, I was going to fish uh, just for fun as a hobby. You know, I was, I was making money at the time, but not enough to, you know, actually you know, make a living out of it. You know, I was, Mm -hmm. I was making a little bit more money than I was spending at the end of the season. So I was paying for my hobby and I just wanted a job that I could arrange my schedule and still be able to to fish. And it just, it kind of, you know, changed the, the housing market tank fishing was, was going well. And it, you know, I wasn't planning on doing it full time. I mean, believe me, I loved it and had a blast doing it, but it wasn't something that I just said, I'm going to be a pro fisherman. I thought I was going to be a contractor, you know, that fished on the side, you know, as a hobby yeah. type of thing. Were you fishing so, local clubs then as well? Like when you were younger? Yeah, I fished in the uh, the Point Seekers Bass Club. They're out of Riverside. I, okay. I started with them, and then uh, I started fishing as a AAA co-angler on the one bass circuit. Uh-huh. And then after that, I started fishing as a boater in one bass. And then I started fishing the BASS Western Invitationals. Okay. And then uh, bass left. They, they, they quit having tournaments out west. And the very next year is when the Everstart s- series came out from FLW. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I fished two seasons with them. I fished 03 and 04 out west and I qualified to fish the FLW tour in 05 and I just said you know it's either now or never and uh, I went to Lucky Craft and asked if they'd be able to help me to get back there and they said uh, man we'd love to so it was kind of you know just a weird combination of how things came together and qualified went back and fished and then did well and ended up uh, kind of phasing myself out of the construction deal and started fishing full time. You, uh, that was one of your first major sponsors was lucky craft. Yeah. Um, I worked with a company that my first actual paying sponsor was a company called bait breath. They're a company out of Japan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had a couple other small little things, but lucky craft was the first one that really stepped up and, and, uh, helped me to go and do it, you know, nationally. And so that, that was really, how it started for me. And I, I look back now I and mean, I've been with Lucky Craft for almost 20 years. That's pretty crazy. I mean, just yeah. from the guys that, you know, you see a lot of guys hop around, you know, to sponsors and, mm-hmm. and to stick with the sponsor that long is a big accomplishment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it has a lot to do with, with your value as well. You know, if you're, talking about one hard bait right now and the next hard bait next year, the next hard bait year after that, it's like, well, <laughs> which one do you like? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I've just been fortunate to be involved with them. They're such a neat company and, and I've 
been really good friends with the president for a number of years. And, you know, Minoru Sagawa has been the president for a long time now. Um, you know, just a neat company. It's just have a really good personal relationship with them and have, you know, been able to work with them for, like I said, almost 20 years now. Yeah. Um, after the years, like you're pretty, a, a well-known professional, how is it fishing local lakes now? Do you feel like uh, sometimes you'll get shade from people, or do you do you kind of try to keep to your own when you're fishing at Paris? You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh no, it's 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 great. The, the the people out there are amazing. You know, there's a couple people that, especially if I started going out there a bunch, and there's a few people that you see multiple times. Yeah. You know, you get to talk with them, and um, you know that part's great. I've I've met a couple of of people out there that you know I wouldn't have known uh, otherwise, and you know it's it's crazy how much the lakes have changed. Paris has changed so much. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing out there anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm the guy out there. I need to go and ask everyone else how they're catching them because they've got the places dialed and I'm just flailing around like it was 20 years ago out there. Yeah. Yeah. I just always wonder little things like that, you know, like I, I played in bands. So, I mean, that's the only thing I can compare it to. And I've, I've fished uh, you know, for like 10 years. Um, but I can compare the bike thing to you because I used to own a bike shop when I was uh, 19. No way. Yeah, and uh, in, in La Habra. And uh, my brother was a pro downhill. My brother-in-law, I'm sorry. Really? Pro downhill, yeah. Right now he rides no partially for Yeti. He does the uh, – he's doing the thing in, in Canada. He's doing that big, like, 100-mile ride or something. I don't know what it is. It's a I heard country. about that. Yeah, some huge one, but you. So you've been riding mountain bikes for a while as well, too, right? Um, more recent. I it's it's interesting because my uh, my brother and my cousin and a couple of my really good buddies were all in the cycling. My my brother in law, when we were in high school and college, I mean they were on the Olympic national team. Wow. Like my one one of my best buddies went to the Olympics. And I would travel with these guys and go on these races. Hated the bike. <laughs> <laughs> but I would go with these guys. And it's funny because now a lot of them, in fact, my buddy that, that went to the Olympics, I've been begging him to go for a ride with me and he won't. <laughs> <laughs> Over it. <laughs> so, uh, I, I ride with my brother and, and my cousin quite a bit, uh, both of my cousins. Um, you know, so, I mean, I love it. But, I man, I am a COVID uh cyclist i mean i i did not get into it until march of last year so okay i am one of those new covid customers for the cycling industry <laughs> luckily <laughs> so, you knew someone because finding a bike during covid was like pulling teeth man it is it, and believe me the amount, of, the amount of time i've spent on the internet looking for stuff and looking things up i mean it's it's a full obsession i, I it cracks me up i laugh about it you know I, i'm a <laughs> uber dork over it and i just laugh about it <laughs> that's funny you do a lot yeah. of trails though you'll do some pretty long rides from what i've seen yeah i uh, uh there's actually a lot of really good riding right here close to my house mm -hmm. um there's three separate areas i can go to that have you know all unique stuff you can ride fire roads just trail riding we have a lot of fun single tracks there's an area that i go that has a bunch of fun downhill stuff that are all single track downhill stuff and there's a lot of stuff that, that is local, which is, which is great because I can, you know, in one week I can ride in three different areas and have three different completely rides. Yeah. Do so, you, uh, I mean, having a hobby like that, 
Does it make you think twice about doing something because you can't break a hand? You know what I'm saying? You know, just in the last little bit, yes. Um, I, I I have thought about that more just just for the fact that I know when it does happen, it's going to be a bad one. And that's the part that, uh, you know, that I started thinking about. So I'm like, man, I'm right in the middle. Something happens. I'm going to miss this and that. that yeah, that's, uh, a big, that's a big deal, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think about that for a long time until just recently is when I'm like, well, I'm kind of right in the middle of the season. So yeah, you know, my I, next thing now is that I'm, I, I really want to just, I want to try to get in and fish some places that you just can't drive to or take the boat to you know there i've found some areas that i know have fish in it that i want to ride in to some of these places and 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 fish and i mean it's so easy to take a backpack and throw you know just throw a little lock box in there with some baits and you know i can take a backpack and stick my rod in the back of the backpack and have it stick out the top but yeah um you know in fact there's a guy out there um i can't remember the name of the company but he makes a rod rack for the bike, it goes. It goes on the bike. Yeah, I need to reach out to that guy. I, I need to find who he was. Uh, the name of the company. I'm drawing a blank. If he's, I'm pretty sure he's a Southern California guy too. No, yeah, I'm sure someone um, will reach out after hearing this for sure. I'm, uh, I'm bummed. I can't remember the name of that company, but he makes a rod rack. So really, you just need a little backpack with some tackle, and then you could put the rod on the bike and just go right in somewhere and fish. You know. A, yeah, a, a little pond or a little lake, or I mean, I I grew up trout fishing, and I have no problem riding up and fly fishing a little bit, you know. So it's a neat, you know, vehicle to take to get to places that you just can't walk into or drive straight to. So no, I I agree. Yeah. I I only ask you that getting hurt question because it happened to me. I I used to ride race BMX and do everything when I was younger, and I played drums in a band, and I overshot some doubles. Mm-hmm. And landed on my side, and I couldn't walk for three weeks, and we had, like, a whole row of shows planned. So I had oh, to find a replacement goodness. drummer, and it was like, man, you I know. can't be doing stuff like this anymore. That's, you know, and that wasn't, yeah. like, my livelihood, but people depended on me. How to bandmates go. Of course. Of course, And you yeah. got to think about things like that as you get older, especially if you do something with your hands like that or, you know, especially yeah. fishing because there's no backup, right? <laughs> no. You know, there's no, no, like, hey, let me get workers' comp while I'm out. You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't have disability insurance. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, do, yeah. Do you have any good um, beginner boat or, or boat like fails kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like where you maybe Say drop the boat off the trailer or you put the plug story or something something good like that? Oh, man. I mean, drain plug has happened a bunch. Um you know, you have two options. You either jump in or you put it back on the trailer. Yeah. Um, the worst one is backing the boat down a boat ramp and the boat slides off and floats away um, to where you can't get it. I've done that twice. And the best one was at Table Rock Lake. I went there before the cutoff to go pre-practice and it is literally snowing. Uh, middle of winter and a guy tells me about this boat ramp to go to you. So I, I go to this little boat ramp. There's no dock. Um, I back into the water. I tried to pull the boat off the trailer. I can't because it's too shallow. I leave the motor running. 
I climb back, you know, you walk up the tongue, I climb over the side of the truck, get in the driver's seat, I back in a little, little bit more. It floats off the trailer and I can't do anything. So the motor is running in neutral, but the motor's running and the boat is floating away from the boat ramp. And I'm standing on the tongue of the trailer watching the boat just float away. I have no idea what to do. I'm not going to swim. The water's 40 degrees and it's snowing outside. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there watching it. And at the time, I had a Suburban. I go, man, I've got a fishing rod that's, that's rigged up you know, inside the truck. So I popped the back window. I grabbed a fishing rod, had a crankbait. I cast the crankbait over and <laughs> landed on the deck of the boat and just reel it real slow so the hook's you know, snag into the carpet. And I just pulled the boat all the way back to shore. <laughs> and, uh, that's was scary, able to get it on the bank and That's yeah. scary. What if you wouldn't have found, you'd had to call someone if you wouldn't have seen anyone for a while, you know? I, I would have seen nobody. I mean, it was snowing. <laughs> no one was on the lake. So I, I, I don't even know what I would have done. Yeah. So, um, hey, guys, here's a quick piece from Phoenix Rods. Since Brent breaks down the drop shot in this episode, and you know I'm a drop shot and son of a gun. <laughs> We're going to give you two recommendations on drop shot rods from Phoenix. A light one would be the UMBX-S700M. Uh, it's 7 foot, 6 to 12, extra fast, and 8 to half ounce. And a medium choice would be the UMBX-7S06M. 7 foot, 6, 6 to 12, extra fast. Both these rods are great. Uh, I personally use them as well, so Check them out at your local tackle shop. Thanks for listening, guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What about boat safety when you're running? So I did see a video it was with Aaron Britt, and I interviewed him actually, um, gosh, about two months ago. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you know, he took a, some wakes, and he went up on, on land. How crazy does it get when there's shotgun starts like that? Um, You know, what happened with him is that he hooked the boat. Uh-huh. Um, that's That's when – you know, the, the keel of the boat will actually catch a wave. And if you're turning in a little bit, if it catches it, it's, it's like making a turn on a snow ski or a water ski or snowboard, you know, it's going to turn on you. Catching an edge. And what happened when when you're in a tournament where you're running up a river or you're in a river system, where there's lots of turns and you're following a lot of boats, that's when that happens. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's very common when you're turning left because of the prop rotation, it wants to dig going left. The other thing that happens is that when you let off the throttle, the bow dips. And when the bow dips, what happens is if you're starting to turn, 
and you, you're, you're essentially, you're running parallel with boat waves, but when you start to turn, now you're changing that angle of you're starting to cross a boat wake, kind of. Mm-hmm. And if you let off the throttle, the front end is going to catch and it's going to want to promote that hard left-hand turn. So I'm assuming that that is what happened. Yes. Um, you know, I was not in the boat. I don't know exactly what happened. I haven't talked to Aaron, but I'm assuming that that's what happened is that it started to, you know, he might've let off just a little bit and the front end dipped. There's boat wakes that you're running with. And when it starts to dip, it catches one of those boat wakes and it wants to make that quick left-hand turn. Is that a common thing so, that happens sometimes with when you guys are running up the river system like that? Um, it has happened. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily common. I mean, it, believe me, it's happened. It's not like it's the first time it's ever yeah. happened. Um, I have never had it happen around me. You know, it hasn't happened to me. I, you kind of have to drive the boat with your butt in a sense where you have to feel things and you can kind of feel stuff like that happening mm-hmm. and you have to rack before it does because once it happens, it's too late. Yeah. Um, and so you, you really, you know, I tell people when you drive a boat, it's the same thing if you have a boat that gets up and lifts real high and it wants to chine walk. Mm-hmm. You, you have to drive with, with your butt, meaning that you have to feel what the boat's doing to know, you know, when, when it starts to chine walk, you kind of have to turn the boat left or right real slightly just to keep it on the pad. Because what happens when you're chine walk is that there's such a small portion of the back end of the boat that is still in the water. And that's when you have it trimmed out and you're running fast. There's very little of the boat in the water. Well, based on the hull design, it's not flat back there. There's a little bit of a V. Mm-hmm. So there's very little of the boat in the water. The boat is trying to decide which side to run on. Does it run on this side or that side? And what happens is it starts to tear back and forth. So you have to just drive it and you have to basically feel which way it's dipping and turn back and forth to kind of keep it in that center spot. And that's getting a little complicated, but no, I just, you, you really have to drive with your butt. <laughs> no, it's just, I just, you, you hear a lot of people, you know, put their two cents in on something that I, I'd have no clue, you know, what to do or, or, you know, he's experienced. And I was just wondering from someone else that kind of saw that go, yeah, I mean, it could happen, you know, it could happen. You can catch the corner like that. Or, it, it does. It definitely happens. You know, it's not, uh, it, it's not uncommon for it to happen. It's, it's very rare, mm-hmm. um, to have something like that happen. Usually what happens is the boat just makes a hard turn and the person that's driving gets flung from the boat. Yeah. That yeah, happens he, a lot. He rode that thing out like a champ, man. I'll tell you that. I mean, I thought I, I saw it and I was like, wow, that's one of the scariest moments I've seen, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's a bummer. I mean, it, it was really the best case scenario. I mean, if there's a dock there, it's the dock. You know, T bones the dock. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it was a pretty dangerous situation. He's lucky to walk away from it. Have you ever had any accidents in your boat? No, no, not on the water. I have not. not I got an accident good. in on the road one time driving, but not actually in the water. Yeah. So uh, and yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a crazy deal years ago i had someone hydroplaned and came shooting across uh and head on uh, with me in my suburban no way yeah it was it was i was in georgia it was raining real hard and uh the people going the other way hydroplaned and ran into me 
Was everyone but okay? Only, uh, uh, unfortunately, no, no. It was uh, it was it was a pretty ugly accident. Wow, that's horrible. But, Did, were you yeah. laid up for a minute? Um, yeah, I, I ended up um, tearing a bunch of intercostal muscles uh-huh. uh, on my ribs, and uh, I want to say I was in pain for eight plus months. So it's apparently with ribs like that, it's, um, they don't, there's nothing you can do with it. I mean, it's, you basically just grit and bear it and you don't have a lot of blood flow there. So it takes a long time for things to heal. Oh, I've heard, I've heard. And I, I think it was like the, the, they call them the intercostal muscles, the muscles that are, they're basically running between each of your ribs. Mm-hmm. I think I separated the muscles from the, from my rib cage. It was from the seatbelt. Wow. And. They go, we don't, you know, my ribs weren't, uh, broken. They said that they're, they go, look, we can't tell. They go, the only way we can tell is if you snap a rib completely. They go, we think you might have some fractures, but most likely it's just the intercostal muscles as well. And they go, there's literally nothing we do for it other than just grit and merit. <laughs> Dude, so, that's horrible. I mean, and it's crazy to think how much you're driving. I mean, it's, you know, know, like you, you, you've only had one, thank God, only one incident like that, but you probably drive as much as a truck driver, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, very fortunate and yeah, on the water, you know, you're on the water so much and, you know, I don't, the only time I drive fast on the water is basically tournament day. Um, but you have to drive the conditions. You know, if there's boats around, you don't drive full speed and you gotta, you gotta just run the conditions and be safe. You ever get a locals when you're fishing a tournament get mad at you for pulling up on their spot or anything like that? Uh, no, not not really. Um, That's cool. In in tournaments, um, you know, if there's a local there, I, I almost always ask. I go, "Hey, do you mind if I pull in?" And people are like, "Man, please go ahead." Yeah. Um, you know, people are, are normally very respectful out there and you have to ask. I mean, I don't, um, I've never had someone say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, they realize that you're in a tournament and, and they're like, Hey, we'll just go somewhere else. I and mean, I've had that happen a lot where people just say, Hey, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. So, I just heard some other, you know, I always wonder little things like this, you know, just little tiny things. You never, you never know. You might have like a weird story or someone flip out and be like, who knows? I never have. And I, <laughs> you know, I have a bunch of friends tell me that homeowners come down and yell at them, say they're not allowed to fish right there, you know, all kinds of stuff. But I've, I've never had anything like that ever happen. Yeah. Um, so, how long have you been with Daiwa for? Uh, I believe seven years now. It's a long time as well. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, the the funny thing is that I've used their spinning reels since I was maybe ten years old. Wow! Um, and even you know all the way through when I started fishing, you know locally and professionally, and I've always had their spinning reels, even if I was using someone else's reels. Yeah, um, I would always use their spinning reels. I mean, they have made you know, they make the the best spinning reel on the market. Period and I don't talk to, you know, I'm coming from a background where I've used everything. Yeah. And I bought everything. And I, you know, if I was going to buy it, I'm going to buy the one that's the best. And I've always bought their spinning reel. 
Nice. And the only reason why I didn't buy some of their bait casters at the time, and I actually did, but the feed line was always so expensive. Mm-hmm. And the before I started working with them, I was talking with them, and I just told them, I go, man, you guys have the best high-end stuff. You just don't have any of the affordable stuff. And they go, well, that's coming. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that was when I started working with them. They came out with the actual Tatula line. Oh, that's my favorite reel, man. It's, it's such a great concept that you know, not only is it an affordable reel, but they came out with a teaming system. And the teaming system is not a gimmick. You know, that's the, the basically the, the level wind that when you click the thumb bar to make a cast, it folds forward and, and opens up that level line into a bigger, a bigger opening. You know, it's weird. Is a lot of people yeah. hate on that. I have all Tatulas, two hundreds, three hundreds, then the rest are Lexus. But I, yes. I, I just bought the three hundred, and people hate. I love the T wing. I feel like I can cast a mile with it. You know, you can. Yeah, it, that's. I mean, it's basic physics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's here's what what. You have with a normal reel, with a normal level line. You have a, you have a small level line, uh-huh. which is great when you know you need that smaller level line to basically have the line spool onto the reel in a uniform fashion. Yes. When you're reeling it in, you know the level line goes back and forth, and it threads that line onto the spool. Well, when you cast it, the line has to funnel through that small little level line. So basically you have more friction when it's going through a smaller opening like that. When you have more friction, the, the line is going to slow down. So with a bait caster, if your line is slowing down as it's jumping off the reel, you're going to create more overrun in that spool, mm-hmm. which is going to increase a backlash. And not only increase the backlash, but the friction of the line coming off the spool itself is going to basically just hinder that lure from going out farther. So you cast shorter, you, you make a shorter cast and you get more backlashes with a standard level line. If you can increase that opening, you decrease the friction, which means that the bait's going to go farther and you're going to have fewer backlashes because it doesn't slow that line down coming off the reel that creates uh, you know, an overrun. Mm-hmm. So it's brilliant. I mean, it's, there's, it's, it's a basic concept and it works. I wonder what people don't like. Usually. I mean, I've had a couple guys go, I hate those. I'm like, what? I don't understand why. Maybe because it doesn't put the line back on. I mean, I feel like it puts the line back on just the same as a regular one, but I don't know. Exactly the same. Because yeah. when you click that, when you click the handle to engage the reel, the level line folds back. And, it's, and the line slides into that narrow level wind, which does the exact same thing as normal level wind. I've had, I mean, I've been using this stuff for seven years now, and I've had zero issues with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say that it can cut your line, it can do this, it can do that. None of it is true, because I've never had one thing happen because of that, other than I guess you were backlash as I cast farther. <laughs> 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 right so <laughs> nothing but you know, positives it, man <laughs> it's all positive it's it's a brilliant technology and they're running across so many different reels now so you know that was my major 
uh, hitch for them is that they had the best equipment, top of the line equipment. But you know, I didn't want to go out and spend five hundred dollars on a reel. Yeah, and so it's tough to you know because when you own a reel, I, it's, to me it's smart to own multiple of the same reel. That way, everything is exactly the same. You don't have to go. You're not going from a Daiwa to X brand. You know, like if you're throwing a spinnerbait with with a Daiwa Tatula, I don't want to pick up a different brand of reel to throw a buzzbait or a different brand of reel when I'm throwing a, a, a different crankbait. Wouldn't you feel you the know, same though the about same. just using Tatulas? Because I mean, I would rather use the Tatulas because I know how they feel already. Just period. Like all my. I fish a lot of spotted bay bass and calico, and I do. I fish the rookie diversion in the tournaments, and I fish all Tatula. I just buy the same reel, or either smaller or bigger, or maybe multiple of the same, just because you feel comfortable yeah, with it. Correct, and they all feel the same, and you can set the brakes the same. I mean, I can pull any one of our Tatulas out of a box, and I can set them before I even put line on it. I can put line on it, and I can go out and make as hard of a cast as I want. You know, back in the day, it was always, this is a brand new reel. I got to make a couple casts to make sure I have it dialed in. Yeah. You know, I can, I can take that reel and set it up before I ever even put mine on it and know that I can make a hard cast. You know, I can run out to the lake and drop the tomer and have the schooling a long ways away and make a comfortable cast without feeling like I'm going to, you know, make a nasty backlash with it. Yeah. So, um, how big, has uh, social media played into the whole fishing sponsorship thing? Like, were you a big social media guy before? Did you have to step your game up? Because with the times, just like the, uh, you know, panoptic stuff, I feel like social media plays into your career as well, right? It, it plays a major role now. Um, you know, I, I want to say that I was definitely on the earlier side of it. Um, it was comfortable for me. It wasn't uh, a huge transition into it, and that I didn't, you know, I still know a lot of guys in the fishing profession that refuse to do anything with it. <laughs> um, but I was, you know, definitely earlier on that scale. You know, I was on the the earlier side to where I'm comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. It's a great tool. You know, we can accomplish a lot with it. You can get something around a lot of people. You know, for for example. Dial comes out with a new reel, you know, they came out with a brand new uh, Zillion XD reel or something, you know, I can take that reel and get it in front of a lot of people through social media and show it off, which is, is great for them, you know, for Dial and it's great for, for the guys out there that saw it too, because they see that reel and they go, man, I really want to get that reel. Yeah, yeah. So, Makes sense. Information, it's just, it's so much easier to, to get things out there now. Yeah, um, Let's start. Uh, I'm going to start asking you some of the uh, questions from the Instagram. Here's, yeah. here's the first one from Gambit Bates. What are your favorite weather conditions during a tournament? I would say um, any kind of cloud cover is, is is good. It seems like the fish bite a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost wish it was always. I feel like it was going to rain, but that doesn't actually rain. <laughs> and again, just because it helps the, the fish to bite better. The only kind of conditions where you have a little bit of adverse conditions where it's a little bit darker, and there's still a little bit of wind, it just seems like the fish bite better. So 
you're able to fish a little faster. Mm-hmm. And you can catch more on, on, you know, some sort of reaction bait. And so I would say some sort of adverse conditions would be my favorite. I, I don't necessarily like fishing in, in heavy rain. Uh, I don't like fishing when it's really windy. Um, so low bit adverse conditions are great, but too much is kind of a pain. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one is from Eric Peterson Fishing. Do you think Wisconsin could ever produce a double-digit largemouth again? Current record is 11 pounds from the 1940s. Ask him because I know he fished up there. I would say no. Really? Um, the only reason why I say no is that they have such a short growth window there. Okay. Any of the northern states, when you get you know, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, New York, you know, any of those states up there, you know, they're under ice for four or five months out of the year. Mm-hmm. They just don't grow uh, as easily as, uh, you know, Southern California fish or <laughs> Texas fish or something that, you know, they can grow all year long. When they're hidden under the ice, they, they just lay dormant. I mean, they definitely feed still, but not like a lake that never drops below 50 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those fish feed all year long. I mean, you take a lake like Bowler's Bar, for example, that you have a, a spotted bass that lives in a lake, they are the apex predator in that lake, and then you have cocaine, uh, that is the predominant forage in the lake. Mm-hmm. Cocaine is such a nutrient-rich fish that you have this fish that can feed on cocaine all year long. They don't have to compete against Largemouth, stripers, or in Wisconsin, you have chain pickerel, you have, you have, uh, muskie, you have all these other apex predators in there that you're all competing for the same food. Um, you just, you can't feed as well. And there's certain times of the year where you don't eat so much because there's just ice over your head and all you want to do is sit in the mud and not move. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, you know, there's, I think that in order for Wisconsin to have a double-digit fish, it's going to have to be in a lake that they are, you know, there's no stripers in there. There's no pickerel in there. They have, you know, great forage in there. And it probably has to be a Tasco power plant. The lake doesn't freeze over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they have power plants up there to do that, but um, I, I find it hard to believe. Right? You, know, you catch a five, six-pounder, in the northern space and that's a real big one yeah um great answer um the next one is from i am jfc we kind of answered this one a little bit but you could you could probably give a little bit of different answers how difficult was it to become a professional level level bass fisherman out of southern california do you think it's easier more accessible to get the professional level from states in the east or midwest because of the accessibility promotion or bass bass fishing in those areas yeah, it would definitely uh, be easier if you lived back there for, for multiple reasons. One, you're closer to the lake. So, you know, if you grow up and fish those lakes, you're going to be more accustomed to fishing that style of fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fishing is definitely a little bit different than it is here. But, you know, you take a guy like Andy Montgomery, for example. The guy grew up on Lake Wiley and Lake Norman. But... They do not fish bank there. They fish boat docks because there are so many houses on the lakes that the predominant 
structure is about God. Yeah. So, you know, for the time they were a kid, they grew up skipping baits around off. <laughs> and I mean, that guy is one of the best casting fishermen that has ever, you know, walked the face of the earth. He can take a jig and skip it around off so easily. And you take a guy like me, for example, that grew up in Southern California and never fished a boat dock in his life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're accustomed to fishing boat docks. They can make the cast. They know how the fish relate to them. That's all a, a skill that you can learn, but it's different. You're never going to be as good as the guy that did it from the time that, you know, he started walking. What so, makes you, what makes you, you, how do you change your game when you go to lakes like that? Like, do you just got to put the time in to flip those docks or do you do something completely different? No, no. You still, if they're definitely on that, you, get, you definitely have to do it. Uh-huh. And I've gotten better at it, but I'm still not Andy Montgomery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you probably so never will be that because you haven't Correct. had 20 something years to flip docks, you know? Correct. Yeah. No, that, that is definitely it. But believe me, you can learn how to do something. It's, it's just it's practice. But when it's something that you do not do it every day, you can't go out and do it as good as the guy that has. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, you know, but yeah, you definitely learn stuff better. If, you know, living back to logistics would be a lot better. Um, you know, just for getting from A to B is a little bit simpler than it is for, you know, a guy like myself or Steve or Rich. Yeah. Great. Um, this one is from Zachary Vero. Most memorable experience, good or bad, of meeting a fan at a lake? Um, let's see here. Good or bad? I haven't had a bad happen. Um, you know, I've had, there was a kid, I don't even remember his name, it was so long ago, that your table fish from the shore. I was at a lake to do a photo shoot and um so it wasn't you know, if I go to a lake right now I can't take somebody fishing because based on our rules mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to get any information and you can't fish with someone that's not in the tournament, you know, there's all kinds of rules behind it. So I was at a photo shoot. I got there a day, a half a day early. I was going to look around the lake, see if I could find some fish. That so we started shooting the next morning. I could at least catch a fish for him. And there was a you know, kid out there fishing on a bank, and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, hey, let's go fishing. Oh, <laughs> he hopped the boat with me. We fished around right there for about two or three hours before, uh, um, before, you know, end of the day type of thing and so we went out and we caught one on a jig and first time we ever caught one on a jig so it was you know cool to see that happen that's super cool man of you to do <laughs> yeah it was, it, you know it was, it was kind of just one of those weird timing things where I didn't have a tournament so I didn't have to worry about um you know getting out on the water with someone that wasn't in the tournament and the kids reminded me of me when I was you know a kid and you know, just um you know Someone, you know, fishes on a bank and no one says, Hey, hop in my boss boat, let's go fishing. <laughs> Never <laughs> happened, so I thought it'd be kind of cool. That's a good, good one. Um, this one's from Stasherman. Uh, when should I use a darter head versus a drop shot and vice versa? Um, the first thing you do with a, a darter head is you, you cut it off and you throw it away. 
and never pick it up again. Um, I, I, I haven't caught one on a garter in a long, long time. Um, I know the spot in the bass, it's a very popular technique. It was in the past. I think people still catch them on it. Um, you know, out west for spot of bass. For me, it's, it's more about the drop shot in the naked room. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two techniques that I throw more than anything. I, I don't remember the last time I threw a shaky head, which is essentially a dart head, just weedless. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just go with either the NACO or the drop shot now. So those are the two that I rotate through, and that's just a confidence thing. Um, in order for me to tie on a shaky head, someone would have to tell me, man, they will only bite the, the, the darter head. You need to throw that or your drop shot away. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't just pick it up and throw it. And that's, you feel like you're pretty good with the drop shot as well? Yeah, it's, it's such an effective bait. It's yeah. just, you know, there's so many different things you can do with it. The fish love it. Um, if I want something more on the bottom, I like to make it a little better because the, the bait has more action to it. Yeah. yeah. A darter head does not have a lot of action. Um, the make it you know, when they're shaking it on the bottom, that, that worm wiggles more. I just think that it generates fights more often than other Nice. This one from John Curry. Favorite lake in the United States and why besides Paris? Falcon <laughs> <laughs> um, Lake uh, in, in Texas. It's on the border of Texas and Mexico. Okay. Um, it's just a different lake. There's something about it. I, I love desert lakes. You know, being from Southern California, I fish. Havasu and Mead a lot, Mojave. I fished all those desert lakes. Uh, Falcon has that desert lake feel, but the fish are bigger and they're meaner. Um, to me, I mean, the, the first time I went there, I, you know, I, I, the lake was flooded and I caught one up shallow and it comes in. And he's got cactus spines in them. They're, they're so mean. It's like they're, they're just a different breed of fish down there. And, uh, and they're big. You know, I've caught a lot of, you know, six to 10 pounders down there. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I know it's kind of on a downswing right now. I, I haven't been there in probably 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only fished it two times and it's been, you know, the craziest two trips I've ever had. Nice. Nice. And, uh, here's the last one. It's from Angel, uh, me, I think, um, any advice, tips, or things that the average person misses that may help? SoCal local bass fishermen fishing ponds and lakes. Um, I, I would have to say that when it comes to you know, fishing a bottom bait, you know, a drop shot or a NACO rig, I think that a lot of people aren't as aware of bottom contact as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of people that make a cast and they, they click the bait over so that the bait falls on tight line. I, I think that having a vertical fall, I mean, when the bait hits the water, you want that thing to fall on slack line uh, because you get a lot of bites on the fall. I feel like a slack line fall is more effective. Mm-hmm. Then when the bait is on the bottom, they one they don't know it's on the bottom they, they start to work the bait before it hits the bottom 
or once they are on the bottom, they're working the bait too fast to where it is up and off the bottom. Um, really, I think that the best way to catch fish is to have constant bottom contact. When you move that bait, every movement I do, I make sure that it is on the bottom. So if I'm shaking a bait, if it's a drop shot and I'm shaking it, while I'm shaking it, that weight is, has very little movement on the bottom. The only thing that's moving is the worm. So every time I drop the rod tip, the line is not sinking. The bait has to have constant bottom contact. That's yeah. where you're going to get the bite. And if it's a jig, same thing. If you're throwing a jig, I don't ever lift that bait to where it comes way up off the bottom. When I move that thing, it's moving an inch at a time. And every time I lift it and drop it, when I lift it, it moves an inch. And when I drop it, it, it's on the bottom. So it's a constant, constant contact with bottom. It doesn't matter if it's snake or rig, a jig, a drop shot. I always want to be aware of the bottom. Yeah. Great piece of advice. I appreciate that. Um, thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, okay. You can plug away whatever you want to if, you, if you'd like, uh, sponsors or anything like that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, Daiwa, you know, they're right here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lucky Craft, those are the two that, those two companies uh, that have been with me for a while. And, you know, whether they knew I was with them or not, you know, Daiwa, <laughs> I've been using that stuff for, for 30 years. So, yeah. Um, you know, they're such a great company. Lucky Craft, they were the first ones to kind of get me, you know, rolling to, to do this for a living. So, you know, those two companies, both Southern California, I know that they're both Japan-based companies, but offices and warehouses here in Southern California, they're right here with, with all of us, you know. So, like Craft is in, um, you know, Costa Mesa. And yeah. Dial is over in Cyprus. You know, it's all local-based companies here for us, and, and uh, I couldn't be happier to be with those guys. So, if uh, anyone out there has not tried that, Tatula with the T-Wing system, you really need to go pick one up. I mean, that's a very affordable reel. And you can get them from the original Tatula for barely over 100 I think, and up to like the Tatula Elite, I think is maybe two and a quarter. I can't remember the exact yeah, price of that like one. That. Um, yeah. But they're such good reels. You know, just do yourself a favor and, and, and try it out. You're really going to like it. Uh, it. Even if you're not a you know, dial a bait casting fan, you need to pick up a spinning reel because it's better than the one you're using. I promise you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thanks again, Brad. I appreciate it, man. And, uh, good luck this year. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I want to go, uh, spot a bait bass fishing here sometime. Oh, I'm down. I'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> I need to learn that. It's, it's always looked like a lot of fun. I've, I've only done it from the bank and, and, uh, the back bay in Newport, but I want to get out and actually, you know, try and figure it out. Yeah, I'll have to take you and I owe Casey one too for helping me out. He's a big help. So I'll have to take you guys uh, out and, and uh, spotty fishing. But thanks again, man. Perfect. Um, you bet. Thank you. 